What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all doing awesome. My guest today is Gustavo Flores. Gustavo is the head of product and research at Verify.io, which is a Montreal-based Bitcoin consultancy. They work with individuals, family offices, as well as institutional clients, and uh, they provide a variety of consulting services to help close the knowledge gap for people that are just entering Bitcoin and want to learn how to engage with it as safely and securely as possible. So I don't get the chance to speak with too many Canadian Bitcoiners. I hear there's a good scene going on in Montreal, so I thought it'd be fun to get Gustavo on and, and just have a chat. Enjoy. Thanks for coming on for a discussion with me tonight. I'm looking forward to this. Same thing. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so I think that probably the best place to start is um, maybe you could just explain a little bit about your background or and or and or what you're doing with uh, Verify, because I think you know a lot of people probably aren't too familiar with what's going on in the Canadian Bitcoin scene, and maybe even less so with the work you're doing. So why don't you just kind of intro all of that, and then we'll get started. Sure, certainly. So uh, I've been uh, I've been in Bitcoin for a couple of years. Uh, first, it was a uh, personal interest. Uh, then it basically became uh, that and uh, my whole my full time job. Uh, so I started uh, out of university. I have a background in computer science. Uh, I started messing with uh, Bitcoin mining uh, before uh, before I was in, in what I'm doing now and. And mining uh, in our Quebec situation had difficulties related to Hydro Quebec, the and the only electricity provider. So so that didn't turn out so well. So but quickly we realized something that was missing on the market, which were uh, services for companies and investors to to better understand Bitcoin, to better use Bitcoin. So that's what we're doing now. Uh, our our main service right now it's. Uh, helping investors and organizations help uh, create secure environments for the Bitcoins. So creating multi-signature wallets, uh, running nodes, privacy setups, uh, even providing liquidity. So it's really the, the whole onboarding process of an investor or an organization into Bitcoin, but with a focus on security. Right. And so the company is called Verify. Uh, is that it? Just Verify, right? Yeah, it's just Verify. Exactly. Yeah. And so you guys are basically a consultancy, is that right? So exactly, yes. people like private individuals or organizations that want to learn about Bitcoin, understand what's going on, engage in it somehow, either personally or organizationally, they consult with you guys and you give them best practices and educate them and tell them everything they need to know to do Bitcoin properly. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we, we did a couple of research band-aids. Uh, where folks wanted to either research particular aspect of Bitcoin, uh, either for investment purposes or for business opportunity purposes. Uh, we've also done some seminars and we also host a regular Bitcoin meetup in Montreal uh, to educate folks uh, as well. Uh, but our main, uh, what people have mostly approached us for, it's, uh, it's everything related to security uh, of, of the Bitcoins. And also when it comes to developing applications on top of Bitcoin or or businesses, the focus is always how can I create a system that doesn't lose doesn't lose my Bitcoin, doesn't expose uh, my security. So, so that's really been uh, what what we've been focused on. But we're certainly always uh, open to to research and education mandates. Right. And how much, you know, obviously Bitcoin is still kind of new. You know, for people like us, 
we feel like it's been around for a while, but for most people, they're just starting to hear about it and just starting to want to understand it better. What, what's in terms of de demand for a, like a consultancy service like that, what, what's been your guys' experience thus far? Like, is there a robust demand or do you have to kind of pitch it aggressively to people? What, what's that been like? Uh, to be honest, it's, it's kind of in between both. So we, we don't go after new investors, uh, mostly because uh, we think uh, big, if you, you, you're not going to get Bitcoin pitched to you, you're going you're gonna to kind of uh, get, you're going to get it once you get it, right? So right. Uh, we don't try to really convince people of Bitcoin. Uh, we just look, uh, talk to people at the meetups online, uh, and then we develop trust, and then a relationship comes up uh, naturally, and then business comes up. But that's really the challenge is how can I tell uh, a Bitcoiner, hey, uh, you want to use Bitcoin because it's trustless, uh, but then uh, if you want me to help you, you kind of have to trust me, right? Because uh, there's privacy re uh, implications, uh, things that you will talk to me about. So that's the biggest challenge that we're facing. Uh, and that's why we think uh, consultancy for high net worth individuals will, will exist, for organizations will exist, but most Bitcoin investors will want to pursue simple plug and play solutions, uh, which they don't have to talk anyone to. They just order a product and they can have their, their privacy at their discretion. Right. So should I interpret that as you saying the service, the consulting services you guys provide is for higher net worth individuals that are looking for a more kind of uh, concierge, you know, hand-holding sort of service around their involvement in Bitcoin. Yes, exactly. Well, that wasn't the purpose initially, but it, it, that's kind of the turn it got in. Uh, I, I honestly believe that this is a, a recurring market. Uh, high net worth individuals are not going to get in this business uh, all by themselves and, and risk making unsecured transactions uh, and losing money, right? Either they're going to go with trusted solutions, uh, but a lot of them are looking for the censorship resistance and store of value aspects of holding their own keys. So those, uh, those people need our help uh, the most. Right. And so how do you guys acting in that capacity? How do you guys get over or get around uh, the, the, the trust issue? You know, like when people work with you and if they're high net worth individuals, obviously there's probably a decent amount of money on the line. What, what is kind of the, the way you bridge that gap or, you know, overcome that hurdle in terms of privacy? Sure. Well, First of all, there's all the legal aspects. So uh, we make sure to, to be able to, we, we propose to the clients that we can sign anything that, that says in a case of uh, uh, disclosure, we, they can ba basically uh, go after us, some things like that. But that's the, the basic stuff. Uh, but when it comes to really trust, which, which I think is the important part, uh, well, for us, is showing our faces regularly at, at the Bitcoin meetups, uh, being very open about, uh, about who we are, uh, and very open to questions uh, and really sh sharing our knowledge in the most possible way before embarking on a, on a, on a deal with a client is what we really try to push for. Uh, and that's why I, I, I talk to people all the time. I don't, and, I, and, and we say it on our website. If, if somebody just wants to talk for half an hour, uh, there's no charge involved. We, just, we can talk and we can develop a relationship. And once they're ready to share their their, their secrets if they're ever ready, right? Because we can also do it in a way that they don't have to share anything. Uh, we've done it with a few clients. They don't want to share everything. Uh, they just want us to teach them how to use the tools. So we make a workshop. We show them how to use Electrum, how to use a cold card, how to run a node. 
and then they can reproduce by themselves when they're isolated in, a, in, a, in an environment. So there, that's, right. there, there's that approach as well. I would almost think, you know, and I don't have any experience in this, obviously, but just from my mind, I would almost think that that would be, you know, a very in-demand service because, you know, people will come to Bitcoin and they'll think, yeah, I want to be involved in this, but I don't know how to run a node, store my Bitcoin securely, all that kind of stuff. And I would think that they would want someone to educate them on that. Um, but is that like, is that the most common use of your services or is it a relatively uncommon? Uh, no, it's it's pretty common for us to to teach people. I'd say I'd say uh, it's it's less than uh, people just wanting us to to make their setups for themselves, uh, because at the end of the day, it can get pretty technical and complicated, and not everybody is able to 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 learn quickly from that, right? So, but there's still many who are on the on the edge of uh, they're technical enough, but they just don't want to mess it up. Uh, so that's when they, they come uh, for a workshop and, and we show them the ropes. Right. And when you say, like, do somebody's setup, you guys don't, like, do custody or anything like that, right? You, if anything, use some some third-party, like, service providers, but mainly you just help people get the structure in place. I'm assuming you don't have access to any of their, like, confidential information or that kind of stuff. No, no we never have access to anyone's keys. Uh, but we will assist during the, the setups uh, and, the, and the creation of wallets. Let's say uh, I'll be in a separate room. Uh, I'll send the client to the other room. He can note his words. Uh, he can set up his call card. And then I can show him how to take the XPUBs, uh, put them in Electrum, create a wallet file, run an Electrum server. You know, uh, nothing about uh, sharing of keys at all, uh, just showing them how to, to create their, their the setup that they're going to use uh, eventually. Right. And for most of these people, are they like setting this up to just like hodl long term or they, do they actually want to, you know, use Bitcoin on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know, transactional basis? Everybody wants, in my opinion, most of my clients want to just hodl Bitcoin. Um, I, I still think some keep like some mini checking accounts, uh, some like to play with lightning, uh, but 95% uh, of the use cases is, or even more is certainly for hodling coins. Right. Now tell me this. So let's say it's a high net worth client, right? And they've engaged your services and you're like, cool. All right. You know, and they, they tell you what they're looking to do and you help them set it up. What's the reaction like once everything is set up and you're like, okay, here's your node, here's your hardware, here's how you, you know, do a transaction, all that kind of stuff. What's the reaction to all that when it's done? So it, it's uh, at, at, at certain moments, uh, there's an overwhelming uh, of overwhelm because it's a very complex setup and the way we make it. We always make a, we always propose a, a different hardware wallets, uh, multi-sig, uh, with Electrum. So at first, getting them used to the setup, uh, it's kind of a, a jump from what they used before. Most people use a simple ledger or they have a mobile app. Uh, so it's definitely a, a, a big jump to go from an easy solution, uh, very simple, to a, to a multi-sig ultra-secure solution. Uh, but it's, it's very evident to them that the multi-sig setup with different hardware wallets, with passphrases, uh, most of the time, it's uh, it's blatantly 
uh, and obviously the the most secure way to go and, and it lets them sleep at night and and that's really the most important part uh, a lot of people have a lot of investment in bitcoin uh, but they're stressed about the consequences they're constantly thinking about it so people really tell us uh, okay this is overwhelming a little bit and it's kind of complicated but i definitely feel safer now right because I, I would think at least for some of them they'd get all this set up and then they'd just be like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like now I'm completely sovereign, you know, and just the, experiencing that for the first time, like it was for all of us, is usually a pretty exciting moment. So I was just trying to get some insight into what kind of reactions you had seen over the course of the work. No, it's definitely an exciting moment, but uh, a lot of people don't exactly understand uh, the implications right uh, they understand the the security you get from a multi-sig and from harder wants but running a node is kind of the the hardest uh understandable action that uh, that folks have to do uh even my, myself at the beginning i i was like okay but uh, my coins won't get stolen if i use someone else's node so so why do it right so there's always those extra steps to take uh for sovereignty particularly uh, and then I'd say privacy. Privacy is also very easy. It's easier to grasp as well because uh, people understand how, how blockchain transactions uh, are, are very e are easy to analyze and track, right? So let's say when I talk about a coin join, uh, that's easier for them to understand than verifying your transactions with your own node. But once they make that, uh, that aha moment that we've all been through, it's definitely very exciting to, to see that happen. Yeah, for sure. And so as far as a business model for you guys, like, do you have flat fees for what you charge or percentage of holdings you secure? Or how do you guys make money? What's your, like, what's that structure like? Sure. So our business model is mostly our, our, our hourly rate uh, for consultancy. Uh, but we have uh, different packages uh, for different type of investors. Some are very simple packages uh we 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 uh we have one hour on the phone with you and we ship you or show send you, show you how to use a run a node uh we advise you on which tools to buy uh to to do a setup send some documentation uh those setups start at a couple hundred bucks uh, canadian dollars uh then we have the like the most advanced package we have that's very popular it's uh, around 2000 uh Canadian dollars, and it's uh, a whole setup of hardware walls, of uh, block plates, metal plates for writing the keys, uh, a three-hour workshop, uh, advice on the inheritance plan, which is something we do as well, and uh, a few extra components. Yeah. Can you tell me about what you guys do for inheritance planning? I'm always interested to know what different people do for that. Sure. So that was, uh, that was an interesting part of, uh, of, our, of our services. And it, to be honest, it's kind of flexible depending on, on what the client already has. So a lot of people already have setups for the rest of their assets when it comes to inheritance planning. So we try to be flexible in that to get the client the, the, the solution that's closest to what he already has. Uh, so we always advise a use of a notary uh, as a third party, uh, not for holding keys, uh, but maybe for holding a part of the setup, uh, just a part of the instructions. So uh, a, a usual setup that we can make is, okay, you have a two of three uh, and probably uh, not everybody has three locations uh, for different keys. So 
maybe let's say uh, one client would give uh, one key to his mother uh, or leave it at his mother's house and uh, then we can say uh, but without exactly telling her hey this is the pin this is just leaving it there and then on the instructions it would say hey uh, here's how to find one key and the other key well it's already at your place uh, this is how to use it right in a way that even if uh, the notary was uh, had bad intentions or he had a, someone came to 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 get hold of this even then they wouldn't be able to to recover to get the funds without having to let's say trespass in, in someone else's house so so we definitely divide the control uh, but there's always this challenge when it comes to inheritance that you will always, uh, in my opinion, there cannot be a perfect solution. You will always have to trust uh, a certain party uh, unless you're taking everything to the grave. Right. Um, so you said you, you guys don't do too much like formal pitching to, I don't know, family offices or investor groups and stuff like that. It's mostly you guys put yourself out there, you write blogs, you host uh, meetups and stuff like that. And you kind of clients come to you, right? Because as you become more known, but I'm sure you've done it at least a couple times before, but when you're pitching or discussing Bitcoin uh, to someone who's not very familiar, right? So maybe not the people that are at the, the meetup, but like, you know, a, a high net worth individual who's really just heard about it, wants to get some exposure, but has no idea what it's about. How do you like describe, pitch, characterize Bitcoin to such people? Sure. So I, I always make the, the comparison between Bitcoin and gold, always classify Bitcoin as a digital gold and as a censorship resistant money, right? So I, I think the main value proposition of Bitcoin is the fact that you can make censorship resistant payments uh, from one side of the planet to the other while keeping uh, a good level of privacy, particularly if you know what you're doing. And then the scarcity comes later. Since there's demand for this censorship resistant money, then, and on top of that, we have a, a digital goal that's, uh, that, that has a, a predictable supply. That's, and, and this is all backed by a distributed network of miners, which invests mil billions of dollars into uh, looking up for these new Bitcoins and looking up for these fees that are coming out of the network. So there's all this whole set of incentives. So then we create these uh, units and this, uh, this ensemble of units, 21 million Bitcoins, which everybody wants to get to, to get access to either the, the digital gold or to make censorship resistant payments. And, and that's, uh, that's how I explain Bitcoin pretty much. Right. And what kind of pushback do you get? Like, do you, do you get people coming back, like claiming nonsense or what kind of the critiques do you get? Well, there's, there's always the usuals, right? Like uh, there's always the, ah, it's volatile, uh, right? Uh, there's always the, ah, it's uh, right, but it, nobody uses it for payments, right? So there's always these two and, and, you know, um, um, we've all heard, uh, we've all heard them before. And what I usually say about this is, uh, in my opinion, Bitcoin is not really ready for payments right now. And, and it's fine because that's not what the market wants. The market wants to huddle it mostly, right? There's, there's definitely a lot of people who use it for payments and their use case works. But let's say in, the, in most uh, of Western cities, uh, most people use it as a store of value. So that's what I tell them. 
maybe in 10 years, maybe in 15 years when the, when the price will stabilize. And, and it's also the same argument for volatility. It's the, the purpose of Bitcoin is to be volatile. The purpose of Bitcoin is to increase in price. Uh, else it's, it's not proving its digital gold uh, use case, right? So also the same thing. I say eventually I believe Bitcoin will be less volatile. And when that happens, uh, it will be used for payments more. Yeah, you know, it's funny that that's like such a common critique of Bitcoin, like can't use it to buy coffee and whatever. And even though obviously lightning is really changing the narrative on that now, but even so, like it really shows, it really reveals what so many people think money is, you know, like so many people, especially in Western developed countries have kind of like for them, money is just a medium of exchange. It's how I buy things. And if I can't do that with my money, then it's not money. And, you know, and it makes no wonder that we're in the situation we're in with fiat money and the way things have gone with people being so like ignorant to the other function of money, which is, well, and I know there's some dispute over this, in my opinion, store of value, right? You want your money to be able to maintain purchasing power. And that's just not like people have just accepted that that's no longer a function of their money. So the only thing they default to is, can I buy something with it? You know, and I totally agree with you. We're not in that. The market is saying we're not in that stage yet. It's being built and stuff like that. But why would you spend the money when you're in the early stages of monetization? Exactly. That's that's exactly my take on it as well. Why would you spend the bitcoins if if you think they're going to be worth tomorrow? And everybody's telling themselves that on the market. And you know, I think a lot of that comes from uh, the fact that we have in the in the relative recent years we have very. Uh, stable currencies in the Western world. Sure, they've lost 99% of their value over 100 years. <laughs> but still, in the last 20, 30 years, it's still much, it's not nothing comparable to countries who have lived through hyperinflation, where they, the, the people haven't lived through hyperinflation, like my parents did in Peru, they realize the value of store, uh, of, of having a money that, that keeps it value day and day, and not only for purchasing power, but and not only being able to, to purchase things, but also to store value. Yeah. And I wonder at this stage in Bitcoin, you know, the flip side of that is, and I agree, you know, people in developing countries, um, the use case uh, or the value prop is, is obviously different than people in Western countries. But I wonder how much now, to, to the extent that people are actually aware of Bitcoin, and obviously most people in developing countries are not aware of Bitcoin, but to what degree when they become aware will the you know the price bias you know the fact that one bitcoin is ten thousand dollars will will kind of you know stop them in their tracks or or make them think that it's not something that they can use to solve the problem of you know hyperinflation debasing currencies government mismanagement that kind of stuff um honestly i've you know it's funny these kind of questions because i always have a changing perspective on, on these questions uh, so lately, what I've been telling myself is uh, not every. if we think everyone, uh, particularly in developing countries, will be able to understand all these technicalities and, and complex uh, aspects of Bitcoin, I, I think we're wrong. I think most people uh, won't understand every single technical aspect of it uh, and will focus on the, on the value proposition. And the value proposition has to be transmitted in a way that's simple enough uh, such as uh, it could be a, a, an application, it could be a, a service, uh, but it, it certainly has to, to be transmitted by entrepreneurs that make it easier for the, for the end user uh, to, to use it uh, for every day or, or, or for different reasons, right? 
So I think abstracting uh, the, the, the or, or simplifying the fact that one Bitcoin uh, maybe will be worth more in the future, but right now it's still worth a lot. Uh, maybe abstracting that it's not a, a like a stock. You can buy a portion. Uh, you can even subdivide it. We can use another term of unit. I think uh, th those things would help. You said you you used the example of your mother. Is she a Bitcoiner? Well, my my parents definitely understand the the value prop of Bitcoin. I I don't think they're they they're not much invested in Bitcoin because uh, uh, they they I'm invested in Bitcoin so. <laughs> They definitely uh, think that, uh, well, I, I tell them that uh, if things go well for me, things are going to go well for them as well. So, uh, but right. they definitely understand the value prop uh, of Bitcoin since they lived through hyperinflation uh, before. So in saying that, do you just mean, like, are they just relying on you or are they somewhat apprehensive because they still don't really like know what it's all about? Well, to be honest, uh, they don't, they probably, they, they don't have the, as much money uh, to invest in, in something like this. I, I mm -hmm. all, obviously I've given them some Bitcoins over the years, uh, but, it, but they're not uh, very technical either. So it's, it's right. still scaring them away, uh, those little parts, but they understand that the, the store value prop, which is, which I think it, it, it's the most essential part to, to understand for, 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 for some people, it's, it, it's a solution for hyperinflationary currencies. Right. I only dig down and ask further about that because my own dad, you know, for the last several years, you know, I've, I've always been talking about Bitcoin. My mom is just like, doesn't want to hear it, thinks it's, you know, risky, doesn't understand it, everything. But my dad, you know, he's been pretty receptive to the conversation over the years. And like every year I can see him be more curious. And now, you know, he's he just finished Safe's book, The Bitcoin Standard. He read The Internet of Money. So I'm actually going to have him on the podcast soon just to like, you know, talk to him and see what he thinks about everything now. But I'm, I'm just intrigued because obviously a lot of this is a generational thing. You know, obviously some people in the older generations get it, particularly people that are in the investment world. But, you know, like the Internet, like everything, technology skews toward the younger generations. And that's a that's a at least right now, a big hurdle to the older generations being able to feel comfortable enough with it to you know, to buy into it. Totally. Uh, I think it's also the, the technology that's the barrier in, in this question. Uh, I, I think uh, I think it's very cool that you have your dad on the podcast uh, and uh, that you have him reading uh, such great books. I wish I wish my parents uh, would. Uh, but uh, I, I think they don't exactly share share the interests that I have. And, and I think that's something that will uh, bring you to Bitcoin in a way. A lot of people come from the, the, the investment uh, world or even as a political tool or, or you know really on the privacy aspect uh, and uh, and let's to be honest lots of folks don't share those interests so I, I they're very open to talk about it uh, but not so much as to read a, a book on it for sure you know this is what we were we addressed a little bit earlier but just about you know the uh, money is only a medium of exchange the fact is, is that most people you know, unless necessity forces them to, to, to care about something, they just don't. And as you said, in, in the developed world, most people have, you know, don't know, don't think there's anything wrong with the money. And as a result, you know, they're not, their minds, their curiosity isn't kind of like tuned to, 
be aware of, of things that address that problem because to them it's, it's not a problem. And that's, the, you know, obviously the majority of cases, you know, you, you, in, I don't know what your social life is like, but, and you know, people are starting to come around a bit now just cause I'm such a, like any opportunity I get, I want to talk about Bitcoin and the social environment, but uh, you know, most people, if you start talking about like the, the Canadian dollar and the, Canada's central bank policy and the inflation rate and the, they sold their gold and all this kind of stuff. People's eyes just gloss over. They just, you know, it's not important to them. There's other things that are more important. And until it becomes, until like in places where it's become a necessity to be aware of these things and manage them properly, then, you know, the apathy just takes over for most people. Totally, totally. Uh, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I talk about it. I used to talk about it more, to be honest. Because I, I totally got that reaction as well, and and sometimes people even figure telling conspiracy theories, you know, I know talking about I know. Uh, about like basic central bank stuff. Uh, well, the the system's really made in that purpose, right? It's made for those facts to be hidden for people not to have any interest on them, uh, because else if they if everybody understood uh, the the change of the market would have already happened. Uh, but yes. I think uh, I think it will come out of necessity, and and a lot of Bitcoiners I've talked to share this thought as well. Uh, because at the end of the day, like we think it's cool, but Bitcoin's not really cool. Like it, it's it's a very good tool, uh, it's very useful, and and that's why I think it will come out of necessity as well. How dare you, Gustavo? Bitcoin is cool as fuck. <laughs> I think so too, but uh, many of my friends don't. Yeah, well, maybe we need to make it cooler. Maybe that's on us to, you know, to sex it up a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Uh, I think uh, that's uh, definitely something that, that we have. I think you just muted uh, your okay. mic. Uh, uh, yeah, you're sorry. good. You're good. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's funny. Just the last point on, uh, or last uh, comment on this point, but, you know, in, in many social settings today, you'll hear like vigorous conversations about climate change and equality and like it, all this kind of stuff. And nobody brings up what I think is the primary source of most of those things, which is, you know, obviously monetary policy, the money, central banking, what we've been discussing. And when you bring it up, like pe people just don't have a framework to to contextualize it. And so it, it, it like just lands on deaf, deaf ears a lot. Totally. It's well. It's the hidden. It's the hidden back end uh, that uh, that nobody's aware of, but everybody's literally talking about consequences of it all the time. Right. Uh, exactly. And and I just think it's it's easier to uh, to ignore it for a lot of people, and even a lot of people who are aware of it choose to ignore it, uh, just for the fact that they think this can't ever change. There's no alternatives. Uh, and, and, and I think that's kind of sad because uh, we're always giving ourselves this limit that we're limited by the fiat uh, money system that we have. Uh, and, and I believe as long as we don't change that framework, uh, nothing else that gets built on top can really change that much, right? Uh, I, I always say that the monetary system is the base layer of everything. Then the, the economic system comes on top, uh, businesses come on top, uh, the government comes on top of the monetary base system as well. So. If we don't change that, if we don't address the base layer, uh, how can we make uh, revel relevant changes to the higher layers? Yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And you know, the, you know, what you encounter so often is, you know, people saying things like, 
um, you know, things in, in developed countries, things look pretty okay. Things are all right. Like I'm, I'm happy. I have opportunity and that kind of stuff. And I agree. You should, we should be grateful for where things are at and, you know, we're not in, we're not locked up in cages and we freely move and we have opportunity. But once you start to understand, you know, how monetary manipulation affects economics and behavior and, you know, all that kind of stuff, then you start to realize, at least it's my opinion, that there's been such a suppressive effect of this, you know, monetary mismanagement. It makes me think and yearn and hope and dream and aspire to what could actually be if we were on a different system and a different standard. And that's what gets me jazzed up about Bitcoin all the time. I mean, there's a million things, but like, that's one of them. It's just like, fuck, what kind of an amazing future could we have if this was the money that, you know, people of the world used? And I think the answer is like inconceivable, really. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, this internet era will, will change that. And that's uh, that's uh, something that I'm, I'm really I'm really consistent on. Uh, I think internet uh, Bitcoin will be the money of the internet. Uh, I'm still not uh, 100%. Uh, I still couldn't affirm with 100% certainty that it will be uh, the the money of the streets. Let's say, uh, but definitely on the internet, as we're gonna see more economy moving towards the internet. Well, a lot of it is already. Uh, then definitely Bitcoin will play a higher role. Uh, and, and people will understand it more. And I think, like you said before, it's it's a generation gap, right? Uh, a lot of the new generations are going to be using payments much more on, on the internet, uh, and that's how we're going to see awareness increase as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've probably said this too much on the podcast, but just imagine, <laughs> like when when I was when I finished college, um, it was two thousand nine, right? And like you know. I looked out on the world and much as I tried to be positive about things and to a great extent, you know, I was, but I, I like, I saw uh, some pretty dark forces and I, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't see how they could be unwound. And then big, when Bitcoin came on the scene, you know, after my first couple blushes, I started to see how this could be a tool to overturn a lot of that stuff. And, uh, but just imagine if you're, you know, a 10 year old today. I mean, Bitcoin's always been around. So when you like have that, whether it's at 10, 12, 14, 16, when you kind of like become aware of the world and start asking all these questions, like you're not, you're not going to go down that like, or there's less likelihood you're going to go down that like hopeless, everything is fucked sort of road because the Bitcoin road is right there being like, yo, come down here. I'll like, we we could do something with this. We could do something. And like, I just, I'm, I'm jealous of kids growing up today that like right from the get, they have that. So of course, like you said, they're going to just go right into that. It's not going to be a hurdle to overcome. They're digitally native. It's always been around and they're, they're just going to dive in, learn about it and start using it. You know, I, I hadn't ever seen it from that point that uh, when you're, when you're a kid and, and you start asking your questions and, and trying to find answers, uh, right, Bitcoin's gonna be there for you, and 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 I think that that changes things. Uh, totally, that's a very good point. Yeah, um, what you're in Montreal, right? Yes. What's the Bitcoin scene like in? Because uh, I don't speak to too many Canadian Bitcoiners, um, and you know, for most of my adult life, I haven't lived in Canada, even though I'm from Canada originally. But um, 
I get the sense that there's still a lot of like blockchain, not Bitcoin stuff going on in, in Canada, per perhaps not Montreal. I hear Montreal is a pretty good like Bitcoin stronghold, but like, you know, Calgary, Toronto, Vancouver, I hear there's still lots of yeah, blockchain I, stuff. I'd say it's mostly Toronto uh, right. since uh, Ethereum comes from there uh, and, and many others come from there as well. Uh, I, Montreal is definitely a big Bitcoin maximalist stronghold. Uh, nice. And I think that is due to, to Francis Pouliot, uh, CEO of Bull Bitcoin. Uh, he, he really took uh, the community to another level with uh, the meetups uh, that, that he started many years ago and, and, he, and creating an environment for entrepreneurs to collaborate and really have a, a common vision of, of Bitcoin maximalists. Uh, and and he's, uh, he's a very, uh, one of the people that I trust most uh, and we're very cl close with. So we got all these companies in Montreal, Verify, uh, there's Bull Bitcoin, there's Knox, uh, there's ShakePay. Uh, so there's many different uh, companies uh, that, and, and all have, uh, I'd say some are, uh, have, we have definitely, everybody has different views on, on, on some things, uh, but a, a more common vision than let's say in, in other cities where they're fighting one altcoin versus the other. Uh, here it's, it's most, mostly Bitcoin, I'd say. For some like myself, I'm, I'm clearly a Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, Vancouver, I think, I don't, I don't know if there's much of a community in Vancouver of either, uh, to be honest. Uh, Calgary, I know there's a lot of Bitcoin maximalists in Calgary. Uh, I think there was a lot of blockchain, but I, I think it's, it's reversing now. How many people show up to the meetups and stuff in Montreal? Uh, a lot. So it's, really? uh, it's at least um, 40 people. Um, but uh, we've had meetups with 100, 120 people uh, that, many, that's, many times. That's awesome. But still, when I think of those numbers, I'm like, it's not like for a city like Montreal, for 40 people to show up about the future of money seems comically few, you know? Right, right. But no, it's, it's not that everybody wants to less. show up to a meetup and everything. You 40, know? I'd say 40 is the really least we have. It's usually between 60 to 100. Uh, yeah. and, and, I, and I think so too, but I, but I think it's a, it's a question of timing the market as well, right? When the price will go higher, uh, it will be a different story as well. Right? <laughs> and it's sure. also a question of uh, how many people can we hold uh, at a meetup, right? We cannot make uh, 200, 300 people meetups uh, every month, right? So we usually limit it at 100 people. Uh, and it, most of the time it gets sold out. It's just that some people don't show up. Uh, so we probably fall under the 100 range uh, right. often. So. Um, what's like, what's most exciting to you right now in the Bitcoin space? Like what's taking up a lot of your intellectual curiosity regard with regards to Bitcoin right now? Uh, honestly, so many things. Uh, so uh, I like a lot. Uh, uh, the security is always one thing that really fascinates me. Uh, I'm, I'm looking a lot on, on Taproot right now uh, and, and Musig. Uh, that's something that I've really been, uh, been working on lately. Uh, and uh, Lightning, Lightning is, is really interesting to me uh, and I like it to work on it more on a, from a technical perspective. Uh, but when it comes to Lightning, I'm always asking myself whether it's, it's more important to work on it now, uh, since I believe demand might take longer to come. But I'd say Taproot is probably what, I, what I'm most excited about right now. Right. And where do you go to 
satisfy that curiosity in terms of resources to to learn, read, listen? Ah, uh, sure. Well, uh, I'm mostly I'm mostly a reader, to be honest. Uh, I, I listen to some podcasts for sure, but uh, I'm uh, I'm always on Twitter as well, so that's how <laughs> sure. I get a lot of things. Uh, but definitely a lot from uh, I love the Bitcoin Optech uh, newsletter. That's one of the best resources that I think uh, exists. Uh, else, I always like to go on GitHub and, and look at pro different projects and try out different tools. Uh, so that's uh, one thing as well. Um, and uh, well, to be honest, I just have a, my own bank of resources that I, that I go to very often. Uh, but Twitter is definitely the way to, to find the content, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned right at the opener, and you said that you used to be involved in uh, mining, and then the Qu Quebec Hydro kind of fucked that all up. What what exactly happened with like power and Bitcoin mining and stuff in Quebec? Sure. So it's a it's a saga of, of complicated events, uh, to be honest. So if I'm, I'll try to resume it in the in the most concise way I can. So uh, it started. My journey started. Uh, in 2017, like uh, in my garage and friend's garage, it was very small scale. And then we wanted to 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 rent a rent a place and scale the operation. So, uh, and we went to a conference uh, in January 2018 called from an organization called Cap Capri Media, uh, and uh, and Hydro Quebec was presenting at that uh, conference, and uh, they were presenting about blockchain opportunities and cryptocurrency opportunities. And they were telling entrepreneurs of the world, come to Quebec. We have a lot of energy. Uh, we, can ha we can definitely set up your projects. So in the months from January, February, March, uh, a lot of people, everybody was talking about Bitcoin mining in, in Quebec. Uh, I was taking a Uber. He, his cousin was making a Bitcoin mining operation. So it was really, it's really at the top of the bull market, right? So... Uh, around, I think it was around March, April that Hydro Quebec announced a moratorium on all big on new operations. Uh, essentially, they're just blocking all new operations and are analyzing the the industry. Because and they the reason was that they had eighteen thousand megawatts of demand for new projects, and uh, that uh. obviously that didn't that they could never fill that need and right. my take on it right away was eighteen thousand megawatts that's five times six times higher of what bitcoin is right now uh, back 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 then and right now it's still not that far so obviously those were they had done no due diligence when it comes to anal uh, distinguishing real demand versus fake demand eighteen thousand megawatts uh, was clearly not a, a real number and now they've admitted that it was more, more likely closer to uh, 1,000, probably even less. So they, they've admitted that now. And for a while, they, they, they were having a public, uh, public, uh, um, public uh, moments where they were talking about, uh, hey, we're going to listen to the entrepreneurs, uh, take questions, analyzing the situation. Uh, and it seemed, to be honest, it seemed kind of political as well. Um, there had been some news that the prime minister was involved in talks with Hydro-Quebec about, about halting uh, the industry. Uh, so now they have like a proposed framework where they are very like, uh, they demand a lot of information from these operations. 
uh, they demand a lot of uh, um, business information. Uh, you have to sign a contract for many years. You have to be ready to pay higher rates. You have to compete against other miners. Uh, and, and, and I'm not exactly sure how, how the, the technicalities of how it works. I just know that as an industry, it's much harder to get access to of electricity than other industries, right? And at the same time, this was all happening. Amazon was closing a deal with uh, Hydro-Quebec uh, for a couple of tens of megawatts, right? Uh, and, and they always said the argument was also, uh, it didn't create jobs but uh, amazon's data centers don't create jobs either right so uh it, it obviously didn't much make sense uh, and not a, a lot of people myself included got kind of hurt because of this we uh we uh, we had rented we we um we didn't get that hurt i'd say a lot of people got much more hurt than we did uh, in my case we rented a uh, 3,000 square feet uh, warehouse uh, and we installed some miners we we probably filled like one-third of the of the of the room with like half a megawatt uh, but then we wanted to scale up and we couldn't because uh, the whole industry was halted but mm -hmm. I, I've met some people who have uh, bought uh, warehouses for millions of dollars and they couldn't use it they couldn't use one inch of the warehouse for one miner because uh, Hydro-Quebec uh, had to investigate this complicated issue. Right. So what's the status now? Because they're still obviously allowing it, right? Blockstream's got the big uh, mining operation in Quebec, isn't it? Yes, but Blockstream closed the deal before everything this happened. Ah. Yeah, they were smart about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the but status now is that some people are, it's, are able right now to to open mines uh but a lot of the but it's still a very complicated process you have to go uh you have to compete against other miners because there's a limit that the industry can have uh for i believe it's 300 megawatts i'm not sure um uh, and and it's still very and it's still they kind of discriminate uh against these companies uh they just they just don't like it uh, it seems maybe from a political point of view uh, I don't know. And also, um, the interest has been lost. So a lot of people, uh, Quebec could have become like, uh, at the, could have been at the forefront of Bitcoin mining in the world. Uh, but a lot of companies now have position, uh, have located themselves in the United States, in other parts of Canada, just because they don't want to work with, uh, with a partner that's kind of unstable, that one day has a position, then he, then it switches they prefer to work with either private entities who who want to make uh, the deals or with uh, other governments that are more open to to innovation and the sad right. part of it it's uh, who's winning at the end uh, not even hydro quebec is winning because hydro quebec currently loses one around 1 billion dollars worth uh, of electricity each year sure they have profits but I, what i mean is that uh, if you have hydroelectricity and you don't use it, well, it's lost. You cannot store it. So there's around one billion worth that gets lost every year. Uh, that's right there. And uh, and so hydro's losing, miners are losing, and uh, maybe the the folks, uh, the regular folks, think it's good that we stop uh, the Chinese miners from coming to Quebec, right? Because that's kind of the stereotype that that was built. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's their money because it's a public entity. Uh, it would have been 
better for, for everybody. You know, and that's extra bullshit because as a Newfoundlander, this one strikes home in particular because I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the situation, but the uh, Churchill Falls Dam that was built in Labrador in the 40s, I think, or maybe yeah, 30s or 40s. I think the 40s, yeah. Um, they signed a 100-year deal with Quebec to provide like dirt cheap power. So Newfoundland is still paying out the, no they're building another hydro dam now to try to get, you know, cheaper hydropower, but it's, you know, way over budget and it's a bit of a disaster. And they don't get uh, that, the hydro dam that they basically sold to Quebec back until 2040. They signed a hundred year lease or deal on it. So Quebec's getting all that fucking cheap energy. And obviously they're not, they're not managing it uh, as optimally as they could. Right. Fuckers. <laughs> exactly yeah i heard about uh, the the new uh, 100 newfoundland 100 year deal and actually yeah. uh, they sell a lot of that energy to americans as well eh? and they say this they sell it even cheaper uh, than they sell it here uh, and a lot of companies uh, of mining companies have established themselves in quebec uh, so basically the electricity uh, of quebec finishes uh, finishes up being consumed uh, by some Bitcoin miners, but it just finishes up being consumed uh, in another country and sold at a loss. So, <laughs> yeah, it's all bullshit. But you know, it does speak to a, a huge vulnerability in, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, which is state, uh, you know, state-controlled power generators. What's your What's your take on how that's been evolving and what the future might look like? Uh, I totally agree with you on that. Uh, I think that's kind of, um, I, 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 my take on mining is that uh, it's not only with this limit, but, the, but the, the scale limit, mining naturally becomes extremely centralized. Um, and there will be technologies improving that, uh, like better hash or strapping version two, which give more power to the individual miners and less to the pools. And that's interesting. Uh, but still, that doesn't change the, the, the economies of scales that the miners have to face. So I think um, there will be a lot of pressure from governments and a distribution of miners around the world. Uh, not all of them concentrated in China, but some in China, some in the United States, some in Europe, will kind of give these countries like uh, uh, an interest to having their miners at the best, as the best miners on the Bitcoin network. Uh, so they don't want to. They won't want to necessarily block these uh, the, the innovation from the, the miners because if they they block the innovation from the miners from the country, well, they're advantaging other countries in a way. So I think that sentiment will develop, kind of a nationalistic sentiment. Uh, but I also think uh, miners at, at some point will have their own private dams uh, to be able to provide electricity to themselves. That'll be so badass. Yeah. If and when that happens, because, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying, but obviously one of the you know very common concerns is that should a state actor, particularly one that has a lot of mining operations in their country, like China or Canada or the US or whatever, um, you know, they could just nationalize all the operations. And, you know, that's bad enough in itself. But if they colluded with some other big mining countries that they could even disrupt the network. Right. Right. And, and then at the end of the day, that's why it's so important to run nodes. Right. Uh, because if, if nobody run a node, then uh, the Bitcoin network would have already been destroyed by minor collusion. Um, but I think that could happen. Uh, to be honest, I think we'll see that 
uh, as a proposition of uh, of some left-wing parties more and more uh, to nationalize uh, the, the the mining industries. There's there's one of Quebec parties, uh, which which is the the furthest to the left who wishes to nationalize Bitcoin mining. Uh, but at the end of the day, they wish to nationalize every industry that consumes a lot of electricity. So, <laughs> not just <laughs> well, tell, that's a that's a good point, actually. But how do you feel about you know can't Trudeau and Canada seems to be um, you know very concerned and focused on uh, climate change uh, and the environment and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sure this comes up to people that you speak with and stuff like that. What's your rebuttal to people that you know basically bitcoin's boiling the oceans because it use so uses so much energy what's usually your comeback when they they say that so the the, the first thing i tell them is uh i ask them is what is bitcoin uh, s uh solution what is the bitcoin solving so uh, one of the things bitcoin is solving is this fiat money system that we have where money is created from thin air. So obviously when you compare money being created from thin air and money being created from real value, electricity, obviously the, 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 the real value money, uh, it, it's, it's creating more, it's consuming more resources. And I, and I tell them that's the whole point. <laughs> if Bitcoin wasn't consuming resources, uh, then it's being printed out of thin air and then it's not reflecting uh, the, the values that we want from it. So. So I tell them that, first I tell them that, uh, but then uh, Bitcoin mining uh, consumes, uh, and there's been reports about this, consumes most of its energy from renewable, renewable sources like uh, hydroelectricity. Uh, and that's, uh, and that's, uh, that's very evident in my opinion. Uh, we, I think there's a coin shares that shared a, a report on, on that situation. Uh, so that's something that I point to people out, and uh, and they they're pretty convinced by the argument of uh, hydroelectricity being uh, the 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 kind of what provide what elements the Bitcoin network. Yeah, I I think and I hope that there's more education about this topic, not just like the renewables, not just you know um, making the payoff for you know, sustainable, renewable electricity quicker and faster because of, you know, the way Bitcoin mining can monetize, uh, you know, uh, locked energy and that kind of stuff. But obviously, I think the way the world is going with, you know, the climate change debate, whatever side of it you're on, you're still going to have to confront that people are going to see Bitcoin as being horribly destructive in that capacity. And I think education around you know, how it could actually accelerate renewable energy is definitely great, but education around the true cost of a fiat money system is going to be really important as well, so that people know the intricacies and complexities of how that monetary system actually creates more waste than something like Bitcoin. Right, and it's also the, the faces of a fiat money system uh, that, are, that are hard to be pointed in that type of question, because uh, it's fun and games while the, the fiat money system is printing money and everybody's rich and everybody has a TV and a credit card full of debt. Uh, but once things go wrong and the system falls, then it's all chaos and, and now it's, uh, it's much worse, right? So there's all these, uh, these phases that have to be considered when analyzing uh, a fiat money uh, system, 
which is very different from a gold standard or a Bitcoin standard uh, that is much more uh, natural and, and has less uh, up and down. Yeah, for sure. Gustavo, I'm uh, going to hit you with the rapid fire questions now, unless there's some other topic you wanted to discover or discuss beforehand. Uh, I'm, I'm good with going straight to that. Uh, I'm, uh, if that's what you want, sure. Perfect. All right. So basically the first part is just a bunch of questions. You can answer them however long or as short as you like. Okay. And then the last part is just a word association where I say a word and you tell me the first thing that pops into your head. Okay. Let's do that. All right. So we'll start off with, uh, the main one. What is money? So I'll, I'll go pretty basic on this. Uh, sure. money, uh, it's has three properties. Uh, in my opinion, the, the first one is store of value. Then it becomes a medium of exchange, uh, and then becomes a unit of account. Uh, and, and to me, money, uh, it's, it's very distinct from a currency. Uh, money is uh, a currency can be considered kind of a, a fiat currency that's more used in, 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 in that kinds of scenarios, more, more limited to the medium of exchange. Uh, scenario money is more of a long-term system uh, where economic systems gets built on top uh, so more the monetary system than the currency itself if you had to explain bitcoin to a 10 year old what would you say uh, there's dig physical property and there's uh, digital property when you have uh, your phone you have it in your hand when you have a picture on your phone you can click on copy 1000 times what if you could have a physical object, but on the digital world? And that's how Bitcoin is to me. How will you know if Bitcoin has failed? Um, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I think uh, I would know if Bitcoin has failed, uh, if it passes too many halvings without uh, having price action. Uh, I think uh, if, if it unpegs for, let's say, one, uh, one halving, it's not, it's not too bad, but if it's been 12 years and there's been no price action on, on Bitcoin, I think uh, we can declare it as a failure because there's no much uh, minor traction uh, that's, that's happening because the, the reward is so low that there's no much incentive to go mine it. Uh, so that's why I think it's really important to capture the value now because we have all this supply that's being created and later it won't be easy to capture. Right. What does bitcoin success look like to you uh bitcoin success looks like to me when uh, basically every central bank in the world will be holding bitcoin uh and a lot basically uh that that's probably the, the the main one but i think a lot of the uh most uh financial networks will be based on bitcoin not by people necessarily being aware of it the end users being aware of it by the institutions uh, developing on top of the network. You have one resource, so a book, an article, a podcast episode, so not a podcast generally, but a specific episode with a specific guest uh, or website to refer a newbie or someone who wants to learn more about Bitcoin to. Which one, which is it for you? Uh, verify that I you. I'm kidding. Uh, to be honest, I think uh, I think I'd say uh, the the Stefan Levera podcast. Uh, I think it's uh, it's uh, a podcast is really the form to educate someone. I believe uh, who's a newbie. It's uh, it's the most understandable medium. 
uh, and the, the easiest one. And I think Stefan really does the, the steps to go from a newbie to an expert uh, in an interesting way. For sure, but I'm asking for an episode, like ah, specifically. Precisely an episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like this episode that uh, Max Hillebrand uh, did with Stefan Liber Libera. Uh, I think uh, it was uh, like an introduction uh, to hardware wallets. To hardware wallets, yes. I think he really well explained the key management in nice. that one. Uh, what other investments are you interested in, if any? Uh, if any, <laughs> um, mostly uh, stocks in my in my own company and uh, and stocks in uh, in other private companies. I think uh, value comes from. Uh, exclusive deals when it comes to stocks most of the time uh, or it comes from hard assets like bitcoin gold and real estate what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone just entering the space right now uh don't touch any shit coins <laughs> Very what what movie or song is most related to bitcoin in your opinion ah i was thinking about this uh, earlier this week uh, I'd say Metropolis 2001. Uh, I don't know if you know that movie. It's no. uh, it's like a Japanese animated movie uh, where it's kind of like a totalitarian uh, government that's uh, that's taking place and they're trying to develop this like ultimate AI. Uh, and there's all this city being developed underground. It's really cypherpunk. Uh, and at the end, it, it kind of fails the, the AI that they were developing. Uh, and it kind of shows how they... We, we have a, this fiat currency system that are compared to this AI. It's kind of machine that uh, the, the state is trying to create, uh, but ultimately it's, it always ends up failing. Can Bitcoin be stopped? If so, what is Bitcoin's biggest vulnerability? If not, why not? Uh, this is a hard question. So I think, I think Bitcoin can be stopped and this might be an unpopular opinion. Uh, I think uh, it's possible for uh, for countries to declare war on Bitcoin, uh, and I think it could be stopped in that sense. Uh, from a very political point of view, uh, I think that could happen at a point where uh, basically Bitcoin would be much higher in price than now, and uh, some politicians would say, "Hey, all these Bitcoiners, uh, they don't want to pay their taxes." Uh, uh, they don't want to. They want. They don't want to share with the system. Uh, so I think that there, were, there could be something like uh, an executive order six one zero two on Bitcoin, uh, which was when Franklin Roosevelt confiscated the gold. Uh, and I think most Bitcoiners kind of uh, uh, are too optimistic about this. I'd say it's not obviously a loss, but uh, since the governments have the military control, uh, I think a, a battle could unravel. What's something about Bitcoin you don't understand very well or you'd like to spend more time learning about? Uh, uh, to be honest, um, I don't really understand all these, uh, all these like financial models. I'm not really the, the financial guy. So uh, uh, that's probably something that I, I have to look more into it. Uh, financial models concerning Bitcoins, uh, metrics, financial metrics and, and, and things like that. What have you learned about yourself or how have you changed, if at all, as a result of learning about and interacting with Bitcoin? Uh, I've been becoming much more interested in, in the political objectives of, uh, of freedom uh, and separation of money and state. 
uh, that's definitely something that I've, uh, I've, I've, thought, I've learned about myself. Also that my ultimate purpose is to be an entrepreneur and, and I believe profoundly in, in that, uh, and the capabilities of human beings to develop themselves through, through private property and business means. So, so I'd say that's uh, probably the most important one. What is your most controversial or contrarian view or opinion? If nothing on Bitcoin, any subject is okay. Uh, it's hard because a lot of my contrarian opinions on other subjects are kind of are, shared. Are Bitcoin. Uh, no, I kind of shared oh. by the Bitcoin community. So right, right. Not, I'm not a contrarian on that when it comes to the Bitcoin community. So I'd say um, I think one of my contra most contrarian views is uh, Bitcoin lightning can very much fail uh, or become obsolete uh, in, in, in the future years. Uh, I still consider it as the most, the one with the most chances of succeeding as scaling technology. Uh, but I just fear that we pass too many years that uh, there's not much demand developing because people want to store value and then uh, something new comes along and, and becomes obsolete or else uh, it never gets really used. Ballpark estimate of Bitcoin's price in five years. Uh, this, those are the questions that I don't like to answer too much. Uh, I'd say without being too optimistic, I'd say 200,000 US dollars. Uh, what if we're wrong? What if, you know, we're, we're, we're all wrong about this Bitcoin thing? Uh, what if we're wrong about this Bitcoin thing? I, I thought of this a lot and like, what do you mean? What, what would I do? Yeah. What would you do? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I probably take like, let's say if my, if Bitcoin fails and it happens and many years come by and it just never pulls, uh, I'd probably still buy Bitcoin just like a, as a collection thing Then I can tell my kids. Uh, but I'd probably take some time, uh, to think and really develop uh, more of my coding skills because if Bitcoin fails, I'm, I'm pretty sure software will never fail. So uh, I, I always hedge my, always think of hedging myself uh, that way. In the future, when Bitcoin hits, let's say a million dollars, whenever that is, uh, what are you going to spend your Satoshis on that will benefit you or society? Uh, to be honest, uh, I don't. I haven't really thought of this. Um, I, I I think to myself, I buy. I really like to buy a land. Uh, this is uh, to be close with nature. This is one of uh, my my higher purposes. Uh, so I think I, I do that for myself. Uh, for society, uh, I think of. I, I really want to uh, to encourage other entrepreneurial efforts that 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 the folks will have. Uh, so probably some not-for-profit causes related to uh, increasing uh, uh, entrepreneurial opportunities uh, for, for everyone. What's one question you'd like to see added to this list? Uh, one question to see added to this list is, uh, uh, is, Tron, uh, is Tron the natural friend of Bitcoin? <laughs> 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 no, uh, I don't know. Um, um maybe i don't know um what's uh uh whether someone sees himself uh, working in the bitcoin industry uh, forever or not i think uh, 
a lot of people uh, separate uh, business from Bitcoin. A lot of people have different jobs and, and that's fine. And I think a lot of people uh, will also want to switch at a certain point to, to a different industry uh, while keeping uh, the interest uh, and the hobby. Right. Okay. This is the last part. This is the word association. So I'll just say a word. You tell me what comes to your head. Okay. Do I tell you a word or a sentence? Yeah, one, one word is best, but whatever, whatever pops into your head. Okay. Democracy. Bitcoin. <laughs> the lightning network. Failure. <laughs> Governments. Bitcoin. <laughs> Pretty bad. Human rights. <laughs> Capitalism. Don't say Bitcoin. Violence. Guns. Ego. Craig Wright. Say again? Craig Wright. Craig Wright. Greed. Uh, excuse me? Greed. Warren Buffett. Wealth. Gold. Privacy. Wasabi. Hate speech. Bullshit. Gold. Excuse me? Gold. Uh, silver. Guns. Violence. Revolution. Bitcoin. Socialism. Bullshit. Family. The most important. Inequality. Uh, an excuse to push political systems. Hell. Fiat. Liberty. Uh, 1,776. Say again? Uh, the, the year of the American Revolution. Uh, energy. Uh, hydroelectricity. And Bitcoin. Uh, mining. Oh. Awesome. Gustavo, that's, uh, that's all I got for you, man. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, enjoy chatting with you. Is there anywhere or anyone you wanted to shout out or destinations or anything like that? Sure, certainly. So thanks a lot to you, John, for inviting me. It was a real pleasure. Uh, I had a great time. Uh, so I, I actually would like to shout out uh, Thibaut uh, Maréchal. Uh, I think he was the one who talked to you uh, about me. Uh, Thibaut was one of he uh, mentioned you, yeah. Is, he's one of my dearest friends in the Bitcoin community. Uh, we, we've, uh, I think they're making good efforts in Knox, uh, and we probably will have uh, some things uh, uh, verifying Knox uh, in the future. So uh, nice. for everybody who wants to follow us, it's uh, Verify BTC on, on Twitter. Uh, at verify.io we have a pretty cool blog where we, we share a lot of technical content so that's also how we show our expertise uh, and I recommend it to everybody there's, uh, there's a, a lot of cool stuff to read on the blog uh, else uh, stay tuned because uh, we will have a product uh, that will be announced soon uh, so uh, uh, there will be uh, an announcement uh, in the following month or so interesting interesting and I'll I'll um... I'll corroborate the, the the blog you guys do is great. I was checking it out in preparation for this. Lots of good articles, not too long on a on a wide range of subjects. The only thing I'll say though is the illustrations on the blog. You got to make them like clickable and expandable because some of them have so much text in them. You know, they're hard to read if you're just you know if you don't blow them up. Right, right. That's good. That's a good uh, feedback. Thanks for that. We recently changed web stack, so uh, we forgot to make that. But thank you. Yeah. 
Definitely. But man, uh, thanks again for coming on. I'm sure we'll we'll meet a meet sometime in Meet Space, either in Montreal or somewhere else. So uh, sure. until that time, all the best. Keep up the good work, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll speak to you in the future. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot, John. Well, I'll be uh, in San Francisco in March uh, if you have nice. a for the conference. I'm not going to make it this oh, year, right. but uh, enjoy yourself. I'm all sure right. it's going to be great. You. All right. Well, take care. Thanks a lot. Take care, brother. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.